I finished up this really long series called Inner Peace, and I talked through um, things to do from Scripture to bring about inner peace and how inner peace is one of the hallmarks of, of God's activity in your life. <clears throat> um, peace for me is one of the, one of the greatest sort of, I hate to use the word, but like payoffs for this life of walk with God, having that inner peace. But I'm going to talk for the next few weeks about inner disruptions because it's not just about peace. God wants more for you than just total peace and cozy, comfy existence. Sometimes God brings disruptions into our spirit. And through that, he guides us to things that we need to be doing that actually make our lives better and the lives of others. So we're going to talk about a few of those inner disruptions. This morning, I'm going to start off by talking through, um, I'm going to start with this very famous story in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. Now, I said a few weeks ago, one of the metaphors that God uses to talk us through what life is really about is he loves in scripture to use the metaphor of slavery and the idea of being freed from slavery. So there are people all through scripture who are enslaved, whether it be actual slavery or maybe us in life, maybe we're a slave to some kind of addiction, uh, to some kind of bad relational uh, pattern, um, oppressed by outside forces or sin and things like that that really make life difficult, God is always working to liberate us. He wants to liberate us, and then once we're liberated, he wants us to help other people find the freedom that we've found. It's one of those cycles that we see all through Scripture. So there's a situation in the book of Exodus where the Israelites, God's people, are enslaved for 400 years. They are hopeless, helpless. They're oppressed by the Egyptians. Now there's Moses who has freed himself from slavery. He's, he's far away. He's, uh, in, in the, he's a shepherd, um, well cared for, under great patriarchal leadership by a man named Jethro. He's got a wife, he's got kids, he's living the suburban dream. As a shepherd, tending flocks and all is well. And he's finally found inner peace. But God is going to disrupt that peace with a calling. Here we are in Exodus chapter 3. Follow along on the big page of scripture behind me. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Up to this point, Moses is like, well, good for you, God. Verse 9, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses is minding his own business, tending his flocks, and God steps in. God wants you out of slavery. He wants you to a place of worship and health and joy in life. But he also wants you to go and help other people get to the place of freedom where you enjoy 
I'm sending you to help them enjoy a better life. That's what God says to Moses. Now, in Exodus 4, we see uh, some of Moses' uh, reasoning and excuses that he uses. This is 4.10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So the idea here is even while he's speaking to God, Moses is like, I'm just not good, I'm not a good speaker, God. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. Haven't you been there? Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The other version says, then God's anger burned against Moses. See, what God wants to see is a Moses. And think about this. Moses, one of the most famous, most, most like in touch with God. The Bible says he became a friend of God and talked with God face to face. But, but he starts out here. God would want to see that he is both fully trusting in God, that God is big enough to use him, Moses, to go do something, anything, but also motivated by compassion. Those people need help. And God will want to see that, that, that he's motivated by compassion to go do something for them. Moses is neither. He neither trusts God enough to say, God could use me, nor is he moved by compassion to want to do something for those people oppressed in slavery. So that's where we start off. As far as Moses is concerned, that's a shame, but it's not his problem. So God, God's inner peace is disrupted by Moses' desire to maintain his own inner peace. And he's angry about this. And there's this terrible and inconvenient calling that we all share. God gives us the responsibility when he does something in our life, when we learn something, when we experience something, when something good happens that liberates us, incrementally we're then responsible to help people around us get to where we are <clears throat> and there's this incredible tension that comes from that like first of all we should have some tension um, let's say that you are are just starting with this whole Polaris Jesus thing it's an experiment ah, I feel like something's missing I'm going to try it and all of a sudden you learn about God's complete forgiveness a blanket of forgiveness so you're no longer trying to earn rightness with God. Or maybe you hear some marriage stuff or your kids really love going to church now or something like that that's really, really good that's happening in your life. And you're like, man, I'm, I'm grateful for this. Experiencing God in some new way, the Bible in some new way. I'm grateful for this. And, and you think about these people around you, many still, you know, your friendships, people at work, whatever, who are still where you were before you found that. It's like, man, I, I really wish that they would experience this thing that I'm experiencing with Jesus. So there's that, there's that compassionate kind of, oh man, they really, they really need that. 
I know where they're coming from. I know that lostness, that emptiness, that, you know, whatever, where do I, that, that burden, that, that weight apart from God. I know that. But then there's that other tension that, man, I can't do anything about that. I can't say anything. I don't know enough. Well, what if they ask questions? What, that, what, what if it gets awkward? What if they say no? What if they get mad that I ask? What, what if I ruin a friend? Like the, so you see that, that kind of that tension there. Now there's this, this scripture in, in, in the book of Jeremiah that I think he frames up that tension that, that sort of is in every healthy follower of Jesus. That man, that vulnerability but at the same time, that urgency, that compassion, that, oh, man, I, I really want them to know what I have. So there's this guy named Jeremiah, and the Israelites have, have wandered far from God. And, you know, they, they got to know that they are, and they don't necessarily like to hear Jeremiah's message. And Jeremiah loves God. He loves closeness with God. He wants to honor God. He knows that God loves them. And, and he's this prophetic figure who God calls to kind of welcome them back in or, or command them to come back into proper relationship with God. And he says this, For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach, a derision, all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. That's where the phrase fire in my bones comes from. And I am weary with holding it in. And I cannot. So Jeremiah is describing this. Man, I, I mean, Jeremiah takes like some literal beatings from a people who don't want to hear his message. Yet his love for God, his passion for God, his understanding of what it's like, life is like, and the presence of God is so great that he's like, i got to say something. i got to do anything I can to help them get what I have. There's fire in my bones if I don't. So there's that tension there. And, and hopefully you get to a place in your walk with Jesus where you feel that tension. It's what I'm kind of calling these days the lifeboat culture, and it's what I think God really wants for Polaris. There would be tension in a lifeboat. Like picture maybe there's some giant cruise ship, and there's all kinds of families and children, and it, it sinks, or you, you find yourself in the water, and then you get into a lifeboat and you're there and your kids are there and you picture the panic then all of a sudden now you're safe you're in the lifeboat with your spouse and your family and and you're you're good and it's like whoo I'm in the lifeboat but then you see children and families treading water out there and there's that tension oh man I'm safe do do I go back in do do what how far do I got to go to help them do I get the life ring and, and, and jump back in and help them? And, and here's the deal. I mean, we don't, in many ways, this church is a lifeboat, and we don't want the award for the coziest lifeboat, right? The, the most comfortable involved. We, we want the award, the, the lifeboat that tried the hardest to get the most people to safety. And there's tension there of, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm, good. I'm so good. This is so good. And they don't out there, they haven't figured out what God has shown me, and I should do something about that, but then what does, what's, what does awkwardness? So I got a few Jesus stories here that I want to read to you, and uh, talk through what, what do we do? What, what do we do in the midst of that tension? This is Mark chapter 2. Mark is one of the four Gospels, and if you're new to the Jesus stuff, I would suggest you start with the book of Mark, 
because it's little snapshots. It's quick little snapshots of what it would have been like to follow Jesus walking around. It's an incredible quick book, and, and read it uh, a bunch of times, like five, ten minutes a day, over and over and over again until you feel like, man, I'm really familiar now. I mean, in just a, a month or two, five, ten minutes a day, you could be totally familiar with the teachings and life of Jesus, more so than most Christians, sadly, just from five to ten minutes a day of reading the Gospel of Mark back to back to back. Okay, so it says this in chapter two, Jesus just getting started. I just bit my tongue, that really hurt. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus is back local again. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, so like one on each corner of the mat. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, like they dug out the mud material, whatever, straw, that they, they wrecked the roof, literally. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, you can't help but feel the emotion of this story. There's four friends, and they have this paralytic friend or family member, and they know that there's this new healer guy who's healed many, and he's in town now. He's local. He's in reach. Now, when you think about these old houses, talking about something maybe like from the guitars to the microphone, like this size here of the stage, and, and maybe Jesus is back here, and, and the door's right there, and there's just wall-to-wall people crammed into this to hear this miraculous prophet healer guy. And these four friends know that, that, that this guy, that, that, that they, they've journeyed there with their friend on a mat, and they're slowed down because they're carrying him, and all the, all the well, fine, healthy people can easily get into this house. And, and they can't even, like, there's people, you know, all the way around the outside of the house looking in, and there's just no way that they're going to get there because they're not giving up their spots to get this paralyzed guy up to Jesus. And so they work their way around to the side of the house or the back of the house, and they climb up on the roof, and they vandalize the house to get their friend to Jesus. They are so committed to get their friend. Now, two, two points of application from this. First of all, if you're just exploring this Jesus stuff, um, and you're my favorite crowd. Like, uh, I, I love when people are just like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something to this, maybe not. Um, like, I, I just love getting to talk to that crowd. Um, I want you to, just as a testimony, realize that there's people like those four guys all over. They understood something and believed something, and they were willing to go to the ends of the earth. They were willing to risk, um, you know, being arrested, whatever, to get their friend to Jesus. And and for the past 2,000 years, there have been men and women of all walks of life who have risked everything to help people know Jesus the way they knew Jesus, like the, the, the forgiveness, the grace, the joy, the peace, um, the healing, the 
relational wisdom, what, what, whatever it is that they experienced about Jesus, they, they've left careers, they've left six-figure incomes, they, they've left homes, they, they've, they've gone to the ends of the earth to help people experience Jesus the way they have. And I just want you to think about that for the implications of uh, uh, how real it is to people when they truly experience Jesus. And that was the case for these guys here. And the second point from all that is for those of you who believe now, like maybe you've seen it, you've experienced Jesus, you've tasted it, you know how much your family benefits from Jesus, you know how God has changed your life. Here's the question for you. Who do you need to get to Jesus? Who do you need to tear off a roof if that's what it takes to get someone to Jesus? Who, right now, in your sphere of influence, do you need to get connected to Jesus? And how can you take a step? It may be just a simple invite. In, in suburban America, it's often just that simple, like an invite. And someone says, sure. And their eternity is changed from an invite. You're having a conversation about parenting, someone tells you a struggle, and you can honestly say, well, my kids have gone and loved this church, and they've learned X, Y, and Z, or we've learned X, Y, and Z, this is how it's helped, as long as it's like your honest story, and you share that, and you invite. Invite, who needs the invite to Christmas Eve? Most people would say yes to a Christmas Eve invite if they don't have a church home. could change in eternity. Who needs the invite? If it's helped you tell people how it's helped you and invite them. Who do you need to invite? Who do you need to get to Jesus? And like, I'm really, I'm really challenging you seriously. If you know Jesus, if you've benefited from a friendship with Jesus, seriously, like write down the name. Who do you need in the next couple weeks to invite? Who do you need to get to Jesus? And then get moving on that. The stakes are pretty high. Here's another example from Jesus' ministry. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. So Mark 2 tells us about a time when they got someone to Jesus. Mark 5 talks about the time where they got Jesus to someone. Because let's face it, sometimes... People aren't going to come in here. You have friends and family, and, and they're too wounded, too broken, too many bad experiences that sadly are all over the place, and they're just too scarred and callous. They're not going to set foot in a church from an invite. Just not. And the best chance God has to get Jesus to them is through you. It's through you. And your story and what God has done in your life and God is sending you to be Jesus to them. Isn't that scary and intimidating? I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So I got a few bits of advice because the bottom line is if you follow Jesus, it's not if, it's when. God will call you to be Jesus to somebody. The stakes are too high and some people are just too far gone to respond to an invite to come in here. A lot of people are ready to come in here. Some people, God still loves them, but their heart is just too far. They've been too broken and wounded. And it's, it, I mean, you, you're on. Like Moses, you're sent. So first of all, first bit of advice is um, for you to just ask God to make it clear to you. Like just take some time and, and pray something like this. God, who in my life are you calling me I mean, that's a bold prayer, right? That takes some guts. Who in my life are you calling me to take Jesus to? Don't worry about how, just, who, just get the name. Let God lay that on your heart. And then the second step is to just, just pray about that person and about that connection and for their heart and for the right opportunity. So you may have a good long season of just who's the person and then you're praying, asking God to share and show anything with you. And, and, and then, when it's time, you respond. And the best way to respond is honesty and your own story. If you are on the first rung of the Jesus ladder, so far to go, all you're doing is saying, hey, I, you know what, I started to attend this church and I'm learning some things from the Bible and I think there really is something to this Jesus thing. Or, hey, I, I've been working on forgiveness and it's like, cleanse this whole, I feel like this weight's lifted, or hey, there's this stuff that I've been doing that I've been learning at church, and, and it's helped with my anxiety at work. That, and you're just, what's true for you. Now, what if they say, oh yeah, well, what about the, what about the contradictions from First Chronicles and First Kings in the Bible? You, you say, I don't know about that, but I know that I've been reading scripture and the gospels and it's really helped me make better choices in life and it's brought me peace. I mean, that's it. Because here's the thing. I can talk all day about the historical reliabilities of the gospel. It, it's a thing. I can talk all day about the archaeological evidence that supports the book of Acts. You know what? Most, it's taken me a long time to realize this. Most people don't care. Most people don't care. They want a so what. And your so what, what God is really doing in your life, is way more valuable to real people than a pastor's so what. Or than the historical reliability of the Gospels. Like those are things, like seriously, I have my so what in my life and I can talk about the historical reliability of the Gospels and all that apologetic stuff. At the end of the day, most people who are far from God just want some hope. And that's what's going on in your life that can connect with them. And that's the thing that God's going to use that he has available to him in their life is you and your story. So I want to close with a few questions. And, um, and then one last song. Question number one, who do you need to invite? Who right now in your life do you need to invite? Question number two, who do you need to include? Who do you need to include? Like, 
get Jesus toward? Who needs to know what God's doing in your life? Who needs included in what God's doing in your life? And third, where do you need to go? Where, like Moses, is God sending you? And I want to challenge you to come up with real names and to take real steps. The stakes are too high. We're going to do one last song, and then we'll invite you to stand, right? We're standing? Stand. And um, I want to challenge you to make this a song of committal and for you to really come up with some names and start praying about that.